Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. This morning, the first service of the new year, you know that at the last service of each year, we have this thing called Recommitment Sunday, where um, we challenge the church to recommit our hearts fully to Jesus in a certain direction for the coming year. Well, I'm feeling very convicted that the first Sunday of each year should become what we will start to call Scripture Sunday, where we will issue a call at the start of every new year for us as a church to rededicate ourselves to fully engaging with God's Word. Because I truly believe there is no greater source of life and health and protection and guidance. There's no, there's no greater way that God has given us, no more reliable way to connect to him, to know his heart and mind than scripture. And so as we start each new year, it's a good occasion to rally us to commit ourselves to reading, studying, meditating on scripture each year. This morning, I'm also going to start a new series on the book of Psalms. And don't worry, I I know that we spent 26 weeks on Ephesians, so you're probably like, oh my Lord, my kid's going to be done with college by the time this fool is done with the series. We're not going to hit every psalm. We're going to hit selected. This is going to be the highlight reel of the songs of the heart that are recorded for us in Scripture in the, books of, in the book of Psalms. And out of all those psalms, some of them are pretty acidic, pretty raw. And we're not going to skip those because we want you to see that the songs of the heart aren't always just um, saccharine love songs. Sometimes they're the honest cries of a heart that is very angry or very distressed, very afraid. So uh, we're going to develop that series as a team. Stan and I are going to be preaching through that. And when Pastor Frank is not, not committed to the youth group service, he will take a couple of those as well. And we'll get through probably the first half of the year just looking at these psalms. And I think it's going to be really important. And then I'm, I'm furiously working on another series that's requiring, like, tons of research and study, but I'm super excited about it, and I'm really looking forward to unveiling that later in the year. Um, So stay tuned for that. Don't leave our church. You'll be excited when that thing starts. This morning, I want to look at Psalm chapter 1. And here's what the Word of God says. Here's how the book of Psalms starts. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And by the way, I should just pause and say, whenever we read the word man, it really is in most cases just human beings, men and women. But I'm, I chose a, a fairly traditional translation for this, and so it just says man. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, He meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. 
I truly believe that every human life can go in two different directions. And I remember as a kid watching my dad drive a car, it was a mystery to me because even when we're going straight, he was always moving his arms. So I'm like, okay, so there's this weird thing. I thought going straight, you just leave it alone and it just keeps going, but it doesn't work that way. And if you've ever tried driving by just going straight, you're not going to end up on the road for very long. So I noticed that there were these little adjustments that my dad would make constantly to maintain straightness on the direction he's going. But every now and then, he would do this hand-over-hand thing where he would do a radical turn, and our whole direction would change. And if the sun was blinding me from the left, all of a sudden it's blinding me from the right. So these, these big direction changes would also be a part of every, every journey. And I think life is like that. From time to time, we make significant decisions that declare to ourselves and to the world around us, I am no longer heading this way. I am aiming my life this way. Sometimes it's a big turn, and sometimes it's a complete 180. It's heading in the opposite direction of where we're heading. But make no mistake, even when we make those life-defining turns, you're not done turning. Because in order to stay pointed in that direction, every moment of every day, you are continuing to make decisions, small and big, that keep you headed that way. And if you are a Christ follower, if there was a moment in your life where the living God revealed himself to you and you answered his call, you trusted him and the Holy Spirit entered your heart. If you ever once in your life knew God that way, then even if you make a decision midpoint in your life to turn around, you won't stay in that direction for very long. In order to keep staying in a direction that opposes God, you will have to intentionally stay on that path. Because the Spirit of God will call out to you and he will remind you that there are things you know about him that you cannot unknow. Experiences you had of him that you cannot deny no matter how different your life feels today. You know he's real. He's revealed himself to you. You cannot move past that. And so if you are a Christ follower and even if you've decided to do 180 and say, I'm not feeling it anymore, you will have to actively maintain that direction, because the Spirit of God will beckon to you, call out to you, come home, turn around, and you will have to choose not to do that. This passage is written primarily to people who know God but are living in a world that doesn't really care about him or about us. These two paths, I chose this image. There were so many of like a fork in the road, diverging paths, but I chose this one because those arrows will never meet these arrows go in totally different directions. And it's a reminder, as this passage reveals to us, that these two paths end up in very different places as well. They're not similar or compatible choices in life. And one path, this psalmist calls the path of the righteous. And the other path, the psalmist calls the path of the wicked. Now, in verse 5 of this passage, there's a stark reminder that there is a judgment coming. And that's not a really popular, it's not like the kind of sermon you preach if you want to grow the numbers of the church. Judgment is not a really nice topic these days, but judgment happens all the time in human life. Our culture is steeped in a runaway culture of judgment. It's just the truth of it. We're all judging furiously almost every waking moment of our lives. I know we don't like to be judged, but that doesn't stop us from judging almost with every waking breath 
of our lives, we are furiously judging everything and everyone around us. And one of the things that has been judged the most is we live in times when so many people stand in judgment of God and his church. And I'm not against scrutiny and discernment. I think we shouldn't just blindly accept and follow. But a lot of people today are judging God and his people pretty harshly. They have strong opinions about what God should be like, what his people should be like, and that's fine. I I think we should live in that kind of climate where we're willing to question those things. But this verse is also a reminder that we ourselves will have to also face judgment. We are not the ultimate judges of the universe. We are created beings, and the one who made us says that one day he will measure our lives against the standard. You know, I... In most of my 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 um, my first three older kids, their their sporting lives, their athletic careers involved games where they would just go and you based on your performance and your teammates, you would either win or lose. The score told the story. But with Zoe, she did gymnastics for like I don't know how many years, ten years of her life or something. And at a meet, you're not you're not competing so much against other people, but against an ideal a measuring rod, that there is a performance for this particular routine that equals a 10, and you are being measured against whether or not what you did looked like the ideal 10. And some days she would do great, and she'd be so happy, and she'd get a little medal, and other days, not so well. And I didn't want to be around her, and she did not want to be around me on those days. Now, for the unbeliever, that judgment comes without an advocate. That judgment is, this is what you made of your life. These are the choices you made, and you will be weighed against those choices, and the consequence will justly come for the choices you've made. But for those who are in Christ, after that judgment is rendered, Christ will stand in as the advocate, as the defender, and he will say, I know all that is true, but I stand in and take this person's place. I cover that record of misdeeds, of going astray, and I declare this person righteous. But for the believer, there's also another judgment. And that judgment is from the time that we followed Christ and the foundation was laid. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about this. From the time the foundation was laid in Christ, we were invited into newness of life so that we are no longer living for ourselves or earning our own righteousness. From now on, that point forward, we are living on the grace of God. We have an eternal destiny secured for us. And because of that, he is now saying, you are living on borrowed time. You get a second chance at everything. And so the judgment we will sit through is, what did you make of that newness of life, which God gave as a free gift but cost him so much? What did you build with your life on the foundation that Christ made available to you? It will not be a judgment that that renders a decision about heaven or hell, but about whether your life brought glory to the one person you most want to glorify. It will be a judgment about whether after Christ laid a foundation, you will live for yourself or you will live for him. And it's a reminder that there is going to be that judgment and our own lives are going to be measured and weighed against the standard. And here's the further reminder of, of the psalmist is that we are not the ones who write that standard. I can't tell you how many times Zoe felt in her heart like, like she did better than the scoring reflects. 
And that's because even though it's kind of objective, all human judgment is also a little bit subjective. So you've got your own internal measuring stick, and then there is this other person's measuring stick, and at a gymnastics meet, what you realize is my internal measuring stick cannot trump the appointed judge's measuring stick. The score is rendered not by my own assessment, but by another's. And that's the stark reminder of this psalm, is that there is a judgment coming in which our lives will be measured and weighed against the standard we do not determine or define. And the reason that that is not bad news but good news in this context is what he's saying is when you meditate on the law of God, you're getting a window into exactly this state. The standard, this measuring rod, and it's not just a measuring rod of moral goodness, it's a a window into what this God wants for us and from us. It's a way of understanding how he is going to measure our lives, what he values, so that we grow to value the same things that he values. And it's important for me to say this, the church does not define that standard. We're supposed to steward it, but we don't always do it well. Often the church has gotten it wrong. Sometimes the greatest impediment to people really seeing God is the church. Historically, that's been the case, unfortunately. Which is why one of the great gifts God's given us, especially in this country where there's no religious restriction uh, at a personal level like this, is you can go straight to the word of God every day of your life and begin to discern the heart and the mind and the worldview of God who made everything. I believe the Bible is the most reliable window into the heart and mind of God that God has ever given us. And the psalmist begins by declaring there's two kinds of people. There is one that is blessed and one that is not blessed. He says, how blessed is this person who? And then he proceeds to give us some negative things. In other words, he's saying, if you want to be blessed, meaning sustainably happy in your soul, to have an overarching sense of well-being and abundant provision from God, here are some things not to do. And I don't want to make too much of the details of this because I don't believe the psalmist gave us three things to show us some progressive scale or anything like that. But he says three things. He says, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. I think that just simply says, don't buy into bad advice. You guys have all heard the saying, I, I, you know, we say crass things sometimes at this church, I'm sorry, but, well, I say, I say crass things at this church. You've heard the saying that opinions are like buttholes, everybody's got one, right? Maybe you haven't heard that. I heard it a lot growing up. Maybe you heard it as a belly button. I don't know. Everybody out there is going to try to give you advice. I, I was listening to Moody Radio on the way in, and Mark Job was preaching about, uh, about um, bar room or bar side counseling. It's when you are not doing well, you go to a bar, you sit down, and you're like, uh, give me a double because my marriage is on the, on the rocks. And the guy next to you goes, hey, I know something to, a thing or two about marriage. Let me tell you. And he's, he proceeds to give you advice. He goes, how do you know so much about marriage? I've been divorced four times. I know everything. About Everybody has got opinions and advice to offer. It's not a mystery that if you bring up something in conversation, that other person will likely have something to say and will hope to shape you. But the measure of wisdom is knowing that not all advice is advice worth following. 
And so much of us, because we like to think we're independent-minded, we're fiercely independent, we think for ourselves, but that's not really the case. We're all influenced deeply by the counsel we receive. So he says, don't be careless about the advice that you take into your heart. And he says, don't stand in the path of sinners. That's really just a way of saying, don't make bad choices. Don't live in a way that's easy, convenient, comfortable, but stands against the things that God says he wants for us. And very few of us make those bad choices because we are genuinely ignorant. I had no idea that was a wrong thing to do. Very few of us sin because we didn't know it was sin. We sin because we feel sorry for ourselves. We sin because the pleasure is worth more than the consequence to us. We sin because we stopped feeling loyal to a God that we think has stopped feeling loyal towards us. There's a lot of reasons we sin, but sin is almost always an intentional life choice. And what he says is be careful about these poor choices you're tempted to make because of your situation. And finally, he says, don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Scoffers, or mockers, as some translations put it, are not people who are content to just take a pass on God, but they also want to throw stones at those who try to follow God. They're like, you're so stupid. You're such a lemming. You're such a follower. You're so blind. Do you always do what everyone... And so they're not just content to not follow God, but they want to mock God, as if to justify their rebellion. They want to say, "I I don't follow God because he's not worth following. And anyone who thinks he is is a fool. And so what he's talking about is be careful about bad attitudes. These three things can derail you, and in the end, what he's saying is they rob us of the blessings of God. Bad advice, bad choices, bad attitudes, and those things mark so many of our lives. The whole point of this is don't live your life in a way that aligns with those who have rejected God's authority as an imposition. What is an imposition? It's when someone tries to impose something over you that you don't welcome. How many of you just, let's be honest, just struggle with authority or structure or guidance or restrictions, like just that whole thing, just you struggle with it? Yeah, I'm raising my hand. You you know, I was going to show a picture of this, but I I didn't want to make this too long. But you know, this. uh, whenever I'm on vacation and they offer a tour I hate tours. Just hate them so much. I'm like, I don't want a tour. I want to figure it out. I want to wander and run into things, discover on my own. I can't stand when there's like this activity, but it's in a guided line, especially like horseback riding, where you get on a horse, and then you just walk in a stupid line for like 30 minutes, follow, and the entire view you have is the buttocks of the horse in front of you. I'm like, this is so stupid. Instead, I would love to just be given like a short lesson and then an open prairie and just go, yeah! I'll probably get myself killed, but there's something about restriction, guidance that I just, something deep inside my nature rejects. And so we hold those things in tension. We want freedom and freedom from restriction, guidance, guidelines, authority. We all want that, but there are times when in that freedom we get ourselves kind of lost. Last March, I was in the woods in Vancouver 
with two friends of mine who are pretty outdoors, outdoorsy dudes. So I figured I'm in good hands. And we, got, we decided to get off the path and start walking around the woods. We got so caught up in our conversation. The 30 minutes in, one of the guys goes, his name is Tommy, goes, wait a minute. I'm not sure where we are. And I panicked because I don't know anything about, like, so I'm looking around. I go, shoot, I, where are we? If you've ever gotten lost in the woods, it's like a Blair Witch Project kind of moment. Like, we're like, I was panicking. I was like, surely if we just start walking in one direction, we're going to hit something. Because we're on an island. Like, how far can you go? We walked 30 minutes in one direction and just saw more woods. I was getting panicked. I don't know if you've ever been that lost. And the reason we got lost in the first place is because we're like, path math. Let's go. And we decided to make our own path. And I got to tell you, those paths are kind, are kind of like somebody else telling you, you walk this way. And like, no way. But when we got that lost and I found that path, it felt really, really good. That path felt like a blessing because in my freedom, I got myself kind of lost. So you contrast this person who latches onto the freedom, sheds all authority as an imposition, and says that person will feel blessed within themselves, but they will be robbed of the blessing of God. Then he contrasts that person with somebody who delights in the word of Scripture and meditates on it day and night. Now, at this moment, I think a good number of us want to roll our eyes to the back of our heads. (laughs) Oh, geez, here we go. What kind of person delights in Scripture and just wants to read it and meditate on it day and night? I can't remember the last time I felt like that. But you know what? I bet you most of us have at least had a moment where we saw something in Scripture that was truly beautiful. I was a Christian for about two years before this happened to me. I was at university. I was a freshman. And I was having a quiet time because one of the upperclassmen kept telling me, you got to have quiet time. And he taught me how to do it. So I would sit in the morning, I'm fine. And I would, I would fight my sleepiness. But one day, I saw something. And I, I can't, it's hard to describe, but there's a kind of beauty in a true idea. Like when you know this explains the universe, where this, somewhere in the depths of your soul, you go, this is actually true. And if I embrace this, it's going to change my life. There's such a beauty in how unassailable this truth is. I poke at it, poke at it, and I can't defeat it. This is a thing that has power. And when you see something like that in Scripture, I can't describe it any other way. The best word for it is delight. It's as if God, who had veiled the universe from us, peeled back the curtain, showed us something, and that feeling is a feeling of delight. And most of us have had something that at least comes close to that. If you haven't, then this is the good news. There is something that will rock your world that you haven't experienced yet, but you can That's like me telling you there's a flavor you haven't experienced or a color you haven't seen or a sound you haven't heard. There is a human experience available to you which you may not have had ever or which you haven't had in a very, very long time. Because of my work as a pastor, I have this experience on a fairly regular basis because my work is to study scripture and try to find those nuggets of beautiful truth. And on a regular basis, I'm alone in my office and I just go, Oh, man. And then I try to somehow do justice to that truth 
by talking about it here, and I don't always succeed. And that's the most frustrating thing is when I see something so beautiful, and I try to say it, and I'm so clumsy. I'm like, that just wasn't it. I didn't make them feel the way I felt when God showed it to me. But I want to let you know that this is not like some unicorn riding a rainbow. This idea that you could actually delight in the word of God. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because this is what you live for. I'm already thinking of specific people in this room that I know this is one of the highlights of your life is when God reveals his beauty to you in scripture. And he says it's not just someone who likes it, but this is a person who's deeply committed to it because they meditate on it day and night. That's a very interesting word in this particular instance. The word meditate is more like the way, um, a, like it, it, it describes the picture of a cow chewing its cud. It's just working at it all day. And, I, and most of us haven't been around a, a, a cow or know even what cud is, right? So here's my best analogy. It's like when you put a piece of hard candy in your mouth and you just work at it all day. Now, if you put a gobstopper in your mouth and you try to crunch it with your teeth, you're going to need to see a dentist. Because that's not the design of that candy, is to bite it and eat it quickly. A hard candy is designed to be sucked on, worked around in your mouth so that the gift of its flavor is released slowly over time throughout the day. How many of you guys like hard candy? Okay, so the only form of hard candy I eat are cough drops. And I eat a lot of cough drops. I eat two almost every Sunday before I get up to this... Uh, to this pulpit. And that's the, that's the way it is. You hold it, you turn it around, and that's the way it is. And so if that's the form of meditation, it's just working it and working and working at it, I find it's overwhelming when I try to do that with two or three chapters of the Bible. So the practical way I've learned to do this kind of meditation is in the morning when I open Scripture, I'm asking God to reveal to me one word, one phrase, one verse, one idea that I know he's trying to get my attention and make that the thing that I chew on all day. And often he does that for me. I get a word or an idea or something that just goes, I think that's the thing for today. And I will just work it all day. I will try to say, so one of the things was, everything that I have belongs to him. That was one of the convictions I got recently reading. I thought, all right, it's an easy thing to say I understand intellectually, but I asked God to make that real throughout my life. And because I was sucking on that piece of hard candy, if you will, spiritually speaking, throughout the day I was seeing reminders that this is true. Things that I normally didn't consider his but mine, I started seeing in a different light because I was working at that thing over and over. Now, I know that sounds weird for scripture, but here's the truth that I, I think we have to all acknowledge. We do this all day long, whether we acknowledge it or not. There's an idea, an attitude, a phrase, a conviction that we work like a piece of hard candy all day. We're reinforcing it all day. The flavor of that thing is working itself through our souls all day. I don't know what that thing is, but none of us lives a neutral life free of ideas. We're all day long chewing on something, and it's reinforcing who we are. At some point, listen to your own voice and find out what you're saying to yourself all day. There's a book that I think everyone should read. It's called I Told Me So. If you have some time and a little money, go on Amazon, get the book, and read it. It's a very interesting premise. Learning to listen to the voice that you're speaking to yourself all day long. 
Now, this person who is deeply rooted in God's word, he compares to a person who is like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Now, outside of the Ents in the Lord of the Rings, I think it's been our experience that trees don't move. That's one of the things I love about trees. I remember visiting my parents' house recently and going to the backyard and seeing that the tree I planted 35 years ago is still there because trees don't decide to go somewhere else. Even if they wanted to, they can't. And so a tree is planted and it must grow where it is. And so the tree that is planted inland is completely dependent on the rain and the weather for its well-being. And if rain doesn't fall, that tree is in big trouble. And likely, it will get sick and die. And so what he says is that's the way it is when we wait for good things, for blessings to just come upon us passively, is we're completely subject to the whims of our circumstances to decide whether or not we will be well or not well. But for the person who is anchored to the word of God, we are like a tree firmly planted by an unchanging, unending source of life and sustenance. And some blessings are promised to such a person. One of them, and this is a beautiful picture. I I love this picture of a tree planted right by the water. It doesn't matter if it rains or doesn't rain. That tree has what it needs right there. That's the beautiful visual image he intends for us to have as we come to Scripture. And he says, this person will yield their fruit in season. You know, when you think about an apple tree, it has everything in itself, in its DNA, to bear really juicy, delicious apples all day long. But in a drought, an apple tree will look like this. This is what an orchard looks like in a drought. Okay? Those trees are not sick internally. They, sit, they have everything they need to produce an amazing crop of apples. What they lack is the resources to produce those apples. But when there's sufficient rain, when there's sufficient water, this is what that same orchard can look like. And that's the idea, is that we all have the potential to produce fruit, to make something, to realize a potential that is in us. And some of us know what, the, what I'm talking about because we felt for a long time like I'm supposed to do something in this world and I can't seem to get the freedom or the, the means to do that thing. I feel like my potential is perennially unmet and it's so frustrating. And even though this is not the only answer, one of the answers that God is giving us is check whether or not your soul is tapped into an unchanging, unwavering source of nourishment and life. Because most of us, we fail to meet our potential, not because we ran out of money or opportunity, but because our hearts failed us. Our souls gave up. We stopped believing or hoping. We stopped having the capacity to persevere through hardship. We basically just quit. Or as the millennials would say, we just can't even. There's a, there's a kind of situational, I can't even, and there is the existential, I can't even. I'm done. I quit. There's nothing left in me that wants to hope. I'm just finished. When we get to that place, what's given up is our inner life, not our outer life. 
And what he's saying is when we are tapped into a source that nourishes our spirit, then little by little, our potential is realized because we have resources to meet that potential. He also says something else. The person who is deeply rooted in scripture, who is tapped into a a source of spiritual nourishment and life, that person's leaf does not wither. I think that's a statement about resilience. The question is, how resilient are you? You can tell a lot about the health of a tree by its foliage. So you know that when you look at a tree with lush foliage, leaves are green and full and thick, that's a healthy tree. When you see a tree with bare branches or desiccated, dried up leaves, that's an unhealthy tree. And that's often a measure of whether it has tapped into a source of water or not. You see a lot about our health based on the leaves that we show. And when I talk about that spiritually as an analogy, what we're really talking about is resilience. And the best analogy I could come up with is this spiritual resilience that comes from Scripture is something like our immune system. You know, our immune system is what allows us to live in a world full of germs and virulent things and not be affected negatively by all of them. We still get sick, but when you have a healthy immune system, a good number of the things that should make you sick, you can defeat them regularly. But sometimes a person becomes immunosuppressed or immunocompromised to no fault of their own. And when that happens, what we notice is they have to be very careful what they're exposed to because when your immune system is suppressed or compromised, then everything affects you. You don't have protection. In other words, you are basically at the mercy of every virulent thing you might come across. And even though you don't want to be sick, you don't have the means to not get sick because that protective layer is gone. That's also possible to become immune compromised, not just because you're sick, but because you've neglected your health. How many of you feel sorry for someone when you say, get your flu shot, get your flu shot? I don't need a flu shot. And then they get the flu and they're like, oh, can someone take care of me? You're like, no. I told you to get the flu shot. You chose not to. You screwed up your immune system. Now you're going to pay. If you're against immunizations, I've really hurt your feelings. If you're pro-immunization, I've just blessed you, right? What does your spiritual immune system look like? Because I've come across people who don't seem to have any spiritual immune system at all. Everything that should trigger some negative reaction triggers that thing. In other words, their well-being is more a reflection of the broken, virulent world around them than a a health and a a vigor and a resilience within them. So what you're seeing is somebody who looks like someone who's immunocompromised, like the boy in the plastic bubble broke out of his bubble, freedom at last, (coughs) and it's over. How do you find your spiritual condition these days? Do you find that every time someone gets you upset, you get upset? Every time there's an irritant, every time there's an offense, every time you're overlooked, every time you're offended, every time you're forgotten or betrayed, every time that happens without fail, that thing affects you and your attitude, your response is only a function of that thing. There's nothing that seems to stand between you and that, that bug. 
The world is full of triggers, but God has not left us defenseless. And one of the fruits, one of the benefits that comes from being deeply rooted to a source of life and nutrition is that we develop a spiritual immune system so that our sense of well-being is not completely determined by the way other people treat us or by what's happening in our lives, but we tap into a a source of stable well-being that is independent of the things around us because God has put a layer of protection over our souls. I'm not saying this in a spirit of judgment. I'm asking you to look at yourself a little bit today. No one's arguing you can't point to the other people and go, well, look what they did, duh. We know. I mean, bacteria, viruses, they're all contagious. They're virulent. But if you got sick every time you came across a bug, you'd be in bad shape, wouldn't you? Does that describe your spiritual condition? If it does, the good news is God has provided for you a source of protection that develops a spiritual immune system. And I really believe it's important for us to renew our commitment each year to receive the full benefit of what God has provided for us. I'm going I'm to draw to a close this way. Last January, we invited you guys as a church to join a Bible reading campaign for 2019, and 78 of us committed to a Bible reading plan. That's pretty awesome. Now, we put out the call, and we've heard back from about nine of you. Um, I'd like to hear back from more, and so we're going to continue pinging you all week to see what the results are. I know that if you set out to read it and you didn't finish, that you don't really want to give us that feedback, but it's important for us to just know so that we can more strongly support you because it's not just your fault. we got to do better each year of helping spur one another on to fulfill our commitments. And so it's really useful feedback for us to have. When we reach out to you and ask you, did you fulfill your commitment last year, would you please just give us an honest answer that will really help us to make adjustments to this campaign. But so far, a good number who have responded have, by God's grace, fulfilled their commitment to read the scriptures. And so we want to celebrate with you. If you set out to read one of the reading plans last year and you finished, we have a gift for you. We're going to just do it on the honor system because I don't feel like doing the, the spreadsheet to track who gets what. If you look in the back table, the welcoming table, there's the, the welcome center with the red tablecloth and next to it is a, 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 just a plain white table. We have a bunch of faux leather brown journals and what, what we're going to do is invite you to take that and use that as your Bible reading journal for 2020. And record key verses, questions, insights that God gives you as you read this year. So we want to celebrate that you fulfilled your reading commitment by giving you a gift that will help you stay at it in 2020. So if you did finish, please go back. We've got 20 there today. We've got more on the way because I realized a lot of you finished. And so we just want to make sure we have enough for everyone. And I want to announce that this year we're starting the 2020 Bible reading campaign. Just like we did last year, we want to invite you to sign up. By the way, I sent out an email this past week, and within 30 seconds, the first person signed up. I'm always amazed. I picture you guys all day just staring at your phones for an email to come in, because like, how is it possible that within 30 seconds, someone signed up? Within the first 10 minutes, 10 of you signed up for the Bible reading campaign. So, so far, 26 people have committed online to a Bible reading campaign. We want to keep that going, and we'll keep that form open for a couple weeks. Um, You also have a physical sign-up sheet back there that you could use to let us know you're going to commit to it. We have three plans available this year. 
They're all three developed by Discipleship Journal. The green plan covers the whole Bible, but it jumps around. And so if you're kind of an ADHD type person, you don't like to stay right at this is great for you. It's all over the place. I hated that plan because I, I like to finish something like straight through. And so we introduced the white plan this year. It's just so good for me, my soul. The white plan gets you reading book by book through the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation. I love that plan. So that's a new plan added this year. And then we have the yellow plan, which is just the New Testament. Okay, just the New Testament only. You can pick any one of those three plans, or you can pick a plan of your own. But I just would challenge you, if, you're, if your personal plan is to read five verses before the end of the year, dream bigger. Just, just a, reach for just a little more than that, because we've got to give you a gift next year and, you know, earn it a little, all right? We also want to incentivize you to make that commitment because sometimes we just need that encouragement when you're on the fence, should I, shouldn't I, I failed in the past. We want to encourage you by pushing you over the edge. So we're going to run a raffle again this year. You have until next Sunday to sign up for a Bible reading plan, and then we'll run the raffle. And the raffle prizes aren't just like, here's an Amazon gift card or Here, here's a Snickers bar. It's, it's a prize designed to further whet your appetite for the beautiful word of God. The first raffle prize is a repeat of last year. It's the ESV Scripture Journal box set. And the way that works is you get this whole box set of paperback booklets. They're journals where the scripture appears on one side and then blank line paper on the other so you can draw pictures or doodles or write things as you read the scriptures. And the entire New Testament is covered in that set. It's a beautiful, beautiful set. The other prize is a, second prize is an NIV Foundation Study Bible. And the beautiful thing about a study Bible is it's got a little bit of a commentary built right into the scriptures so that when you come across a confusing word, they typically take all those things that most people ask about and they put a little comment on the bottom so you get your questions answered almost right away. A great resource. And the third thing, which I think a lot of people are going to want once they see it, is this massive coffee table book. I ordered it and I was shocked when the box came. I was like, I ordered a coffee table book, not a coffee table. This thing's massive. It contains all the posters that they did for the Bible Project to summarize the books of the Bible. Beautiful artwork, along with stories about how each of those things was developed. It's a beautiful book, and I hope that that one of you who gets it will just be so thrilled, and it will excite you for the Word of God. So there's one of those available. And this this week, I'm going to put out another email with links to all of those so that even if you don't win the prize, you might want to just pick one of these things up for yourself anyway. Staff, I want to remind you, you're not eligible to win any prizes in contests that we run at this church. That would not be a good look. Last year, I forgot about that. And I, I, we used a, a website to do a randomized drawing, and Jeannie won. So, like, that's just not a good look. <laughs> so, we skipped her, and she felt kind of bad, but understood. So, you guys will have an opportunity to win one of these three prizes, but just make sure you register your commitment to read the Bible by next Sunday. And then we'll give away the raffle prizes on the 19th. Amen? So with that, I'm going to invite us to just bow our heads as, we, as the worship team comes to close us in a final song. I want to key in on those two blessings promised to us. Do you feel like there is this person you're supposed to be and can be, but even though you want to be that person, you just you keep dipping down and coming up empty like you're not meeting your potential. You see the person you know you could be, you're supposed to be, but each day you just run out of steam. God is inviting you 
to see that in Scripture is a reliable source of life and nourishment and power that will help you realize the potential of the person he made you to be. You don't have to live in perpetual disappointment with yourself. Part of the problem may just be that you are parched in your soul. So he wants to make you fruitful. Would you receive that through the gift of scripture? And maybe what you're finding, what you're convicted by is that everything triggers you. Everything affects you almost to the point that even though you know better and eventually you calm down, it's like you're a person without an immune system. You get out there into a selfish, broken world full of sinful people and all day long you're just being triggered and triggered and triggered. You're angry, you're hurt, you're offended. And God says, you don't need to live that way where your leaves are just withered. You can become resilient as the scriptures lay a layer of protection over your soul. Because this world is a rough place. and Not everyone cares about you or prioritizes you. You'll get hurt out there. But you don't have to be defenseless. And he wants you to see that scripture is his gift to you, to protect you. So with those two thoughts... I want to invite you to take a moment to respond to God. Make some commitments in your heart through prayer if you need to. And then the praise team will lead us to a closing song. And we'll wrap up our service together. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.